Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Football Social Daily. The Premier League Podcast. This is Football Social Daily, your award-winning Premier League podcast. On today's show, have Southampton stopped the rot? Nathan Jones hasn't won a Premier League game in charge, but now he's knocked out Pep Guardiola's Manchester City from the Carabao Cup. Is it a corner turned or has the damage already been done? We'll discuss that as we now know our final four in that competition. And speaking of competition, Chelsea haven't been very competitive lately, have they? Unless it's been in the transfer market. Tonight, they face Fulham in the top flight. When was the last time the Cottagers went into this fixture as favourites? The Blues boosted perhaps by the arrival of Joao Felix, one of the most expensive players of all time, but he's at the bridge for six months at a cost of £10 million. That will be one of a number of transfers we talk about on today's episode as the window heats up. Villa, Spurs, West Ham and Wolves all in the conversation and we'll be answering your burning Premier League questions too with the queries you've sent into the show. This is Football Social Daily. My name's Niall and two Carabao Cup semi-finalists join me in the studio today. Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Morning, boys. Good morning. What a great night last night with Man City going out and our, our two sides, mine and Joel's, have both got genuine chances of winning it now and uh, reaching, the, well, playing each other in the final by uh, by the looks of things as well. Feels like it? the stars are aligning. <laughs> well, if you didn't listen to Monday's episode, you won't know that Jim, a West Ham fan, and Joel, a Manchester United fan, have made a little bet. I think it's a tenor to charity, isn't it, Joel, for whoever wins? Uh, Joel thinks that Manchester United will win a trophy before Newcastle United do. Um, Jim was kind of speculatively, tentatively, and kind of jokingly suggesting that Newcastle would win before Manchester United, but they shook hands on it, and there's a tenor on the line to charity, and it looks like we might well get a final between those two clubs far sooner than we anticipated. Uh, We'll get on to that shortly, but we are going to start today's episode by looking at what happened in the Carabao Cup yesterday. It's quarterfinals time, of course, and Southampton, absolutely wretched form at the moment under Nathan Jones, bottom of the Premier League. They've just gone and knocked out Manchester City and they were convincing as well. They beat them 2-0 
And this is the first time that Pep Guardiola has ever lost a domestic quarterfinal as a manager. That is a crazy record, but it's now come to an end. What do you think, Marley, about last night's scoreline? Were Manchester City poor or was Southampton good? Both. Um, I think that has to happen. For, for Man City to lose a game, they have to play bad and the opponents have to play really, really well. Uh, that happened. That happened in in abundance last night. I thought City were City were wretched. It was it was unconvincing from from the start. You know, even the first. I mean, when the first goal went in after about was it like twenty eight minutes or something like that. And you know, for the up until that, City weren't the better side. It was very even. You'd probably say if anyone looked more like scoring, it was probably Southampton because they were getting into the final third a bit more. They were controlling their fair share of possession. They weren't, it wasn't backs to the wall, batting down the hatches type of stuff. And I remember Sky Sports put a um, put a stat up, like um, Man City have never, I think they've scored four goals in, in the first 15 minutes of, of any game this season. So they're not quick starters. Um, and then when Southampton got the breakthrough, it was kind of like, all right, well, City will wake up now. City will, uh, will, will come good and, you know, they'll win 3-1, 4-1, something like that. But they just didn't. Um, you know, the first goal was a really good finish. That Sekumara looks looks a pretty good player, to be fair. Um, yeah, I think he's been injured for a little bit, but he, he took his goal brilliantly. Um, and then the second one with with Jennepo sort of ambles through the through the midfield, and then he looks up and sees St- Stefan Ortega standing on his penalty spot and just goes, "I'm going to chip him." And then Ortega's just in flailing in no man's land, like can't get near the ball float over him and it's 2-0 and the damage is done and then it's then it's a case of right now we'll sit in 10 behind the ball if, for, for most of the second half um, and we'll see if we can get to a, a cup semi-final after being bottom of the league for the for the past few weeks so it's huge for Southampton and it kind of needs to be a, a starting point now for for Nathan Jones's reign in charge because he's he's been underwhelming so far um, and even his, his post-match press conference um, interview quotes didn't fill anyone with any confidence. He started moaning on about how he gets booed all the time and he's been booed more than any other manager. And it was like, Christ, mate, you just beat one of the best teams in the world to get <laughs> to a semi-final. And, you know, you're 100 and, well, you're 270 minutes away from winning silverware at Southampton. You know, be happy. <laughs> he does love a moan. Nathan Jones he, absolutely loves a moan. Yeah, he does. But, oh, well, each, you know... Take take the take the win and, and move on. But it was a great performance. They were very, very good. So happy days for them. Well, we'll talk about Southampton in more detail in a second, but just staying focused on Manchester City for now. Massive game for them in the Premier League this weekend, which we'll talk about more on tomorrow's episode of Football Social Daily as we look ahead to the weekend. But does that fill you with confidence or concern as a Manchester United fan? Because often when there is a bad performance under Pep Guardiola, City in the next game come absolutely flying out of the traps and I've seen a few City fans on social media say they're actually quite refreshed that Pep Guardiola didn't really make any excuses or come up with any philosophical reason as to why Manchester City were beaten he just simply came out and said we weren't very good we didn't play very well today Um, uh, De Bruyne was off it Cancelo was off it Um, are you expecting a, a reaction at the weekend let's just say I was going to say as a neutral, but I'm very far from being a neutral. And as a United fan, it was actually very <laughs> nice seeing that yesterday. More so because it was a pretty strong team as well. You know, they had the likes of Foden, Grealish, Harlan came off the bench. Um, Cancelo was playing. It wasn't like it was a very second string side. It was one that should have 
beating Southampton because I don't know about you two, but when you saw that them two were drew together, I mean, City are basically the League Cup owners. You may as well have them leasing it out to people because that's how many times they've won it. And the fact that they were, like Marley said, pretty much outplayed for good periods of it as well, uh, especially with Southampton losing six from six prior to it. I thought the writing was completely on the wall and that City would walk themselves again to another Wembley trip. Um, so for me, it's a nice feeling going into it. But then again, for United, we didn't play massively well against Charlton, which... I mean, it was a very second string side. So it's kind of, I, th- I feel like it's very imbalanced, the game at the weekend. It's hard to call because both teams, although they're coming into it in pretty decent form, I've not seen both of the the sides, the fully strength sides, actually come into it in the last game and show some form. So I don't know how they're going to react. Uh, but it's always nice to feel like City have had a little bit of a, a chink in the armour just before they played us. And it's also nice to see Haaland not score for a game, which I hope he's not saving for the weekend because I've got mm. still PTSD from that Etihad experience um, <laughs> in November time. <laughs> well, he scored a hat-trick in that game, of course, and the Manchester derby, along with the North London derby, makes for a really exciting weekend of Premier League football. But back to Southampton, the Premier League is where their struggles have been, Marley. But in the last seven days, Nathan Jones, who can't buy a win in the top flight, Southampton rooted to the foot of the table, has beaten two Premier League teams in two different cup competitions in the meantime, beating Crystal Palace in the FA Cup and then beating Manchester City comfortably at St Mary's last night. You mentioned it briefly a second ago. Is this a turning point for Nathan Jones? Is this the turning point in Southampton's season, do you think? Uh, it, it has to be. Um, I think it'd be interesting if if uh, you could ask Nathan Jones and it'd be even more interesting if he told you what he really thought if he did ask him it. Um, would he have swapped those two wins for six Premier League points? Because I would be, I'd be um, tempted to say he probably would, because it's tight down there, it's tight at the bottom. I think there's five points separating thirteenth from twentieth. Um, every every one of those teams is in bad form, and every every one of those teams is looking for something to spark their season. Uh, Southampton, in my opinion, have, have now found it first. You know, they beat Manchester City at home, and it wasn't a fluke. Um, yeah, you could say Haaland didn't play the full game and neither did uh, De Bruyne and, you know, Edison wasn't playing and stuff like that. But the level of performance was, was massive. It was good enough to beat any team in the bottom half by, like, comfortably. So they need to they need to kick on now and, and get uh, get a few wins in the Premier League because, you know, Nathan Jones has had this sort of false dawn of a start. There was no new manager bounce because it was straight to the World Cup. Uh, it was working with some players, but not all of his squad, because if, if you were away here, here, there and everywhere at the World Cup and, and stuff and coming back at different times. Um, and they've got to they've got to now use this. It, 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 the proof will be in the pudding whether they pick up points now going forward. But if I know anything about about football over the few years or last few years, it's that Southampton will probably now lose the next three Premier League games as well because everyone's expecting them to get better and everyone goes, well, they've beat Man City and they beat Palace and they're, you know, they're decent sides on the day, um, well, with regards to Palace. And then they'll probably just flatter to deceive and end up uh, and end up losing the next couple and, and the, the heat will be on Nathan Jones all over again, but he has to guard against that um, and use it as... As a, as a platform to build because they do have an exciting team and it's it's young but they can do crazy things like if they all click they will be a good side they've not clicked in the Premier League so far yet this season really uh, I think they've won three games or something like that so it's not enough 
But that that incon- inconsistency will come with having a young team. Some days they'll be incredible, like they were against Man City. But those incredible days have to come every two weeks, at least, because they're in trouble at the bottom. And in the next two weeks, they've got Everton this Saturday and next Saturday... It's Aston Villa at home. So those are the next two Premier League games and particularly that Everton match looking huge, isn't it? This weekend, some really good fixtures to look forward to, which we will talk about on tomorrow's edition of the podcast. But though, let's just take a quick look at some of those other quarterfinal results in the Carabao Cup. Newcastle United are through after beating Leicester and so too are Manchester United who beat League One Charlton Athletic. Yesterday, Nottingham Forest beat Wolverhampton Wanderers on penalties. So we know our final four, Southampton, Manchester United, Newcastle United and Nottingham Forest. Could the bet we made on Monday, Joel, be over sooner than expected? Because looking at that final four, you'd imagine... All being well, and barring no real upsets or shocks, it will be Newcastle versus Manchester United in the final. What do you think? Well, Newcastle need to take care of their own business first. They've got an away tie. Have, oh, it's uh, two legs anyway, so it's going to be tricky for both teams, <laughs> I think. I was, I was just thinking that. No, we've got two ties. It's all level playing field. But when Jim... By the way, I won't be on the podcast the day after the home tie against Southampton. I, I will be making the midweek trip up there and I won't be back till five in the morning. So. <laughs> what, down to Southampton or up to St. No, James's? No, up to Newcastle. I was going to say that would be later than five in the morning. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's just the case. Well, when Jim first gave the proposition, and challenged my beloved Manchester United, which is then challenging me in the same process. I didn't think to myself that it could come this soon because it's only next month, the final, on the 26th of February. I was thinking to myself, oh, it's maybe next year, might be an FA Cup, might be both teams the season after, maybe going for the Premier League. But the fact that it's literally probably going to come next month, I mean, there's a lot, on, a lot on the line. It's not even, ignore the £10 for charity, that can go there regardless. It's the pride. Like I cannot be in a studio with Marley going into it and they've won silverware before we have. <laughs> it just can't happen. So there's a lot riding on this one um, and I can definitely see both teams making it to the final. And I think it'll just be, I think it'll be a kind of like a, like a Newcastle's renaissance. They're starting to build and United are starting to be on the up again. I think it'd be a, a great clash just in terms of historically. Um, so I think hopefully if both of them can make it to the final, it's going to be a difficult one, but sorry for Jim. I'm going to have to be giving that £10 to a charity of my choice. <laughs> well, the uh, Premier League game between the two sides, Newcastle and Manchester United, actually finished goalless this season, the one game that they've had so far. And that was a pretty close run thing as well. I wonder how things will unfold if they did meet in the Carabao Cup final. We've got uh, form as well for meeting in Cup finals. I think the last uh, Cup final Newcastle got to, uh, sorry, second to most recent was the 99 FA Cup final. We could have stopped Man United doing the treble, um, but we blew it. <laughs> we, we lost 2-0. I think Solskjaer Another... scored as well. So Another club that did stop Manchester United doing the treble, Joel, was Portsmouth in 2008. No, so, don't make me know, leave this podcast. Suck it up. Suck it up. Um, Marley's actually wearing a Northern Rock era Newcastle United kit. Yeah. Um, today, so maybe when we it's, were terrible, maybe ironically. it's fate. Maybe it's fate, and uh, I'm sure we got relegated in this. Just because Jim's not here, 
I've got a West Ham kit in the, in, in the studio. <laughs> he's with us in spirit. So I'm actually, uh, I'm here with a few West Ham kits that he's kindly donated for us to decorate the studio. All right then, Carabao Cup, last four. We know who the teams are, but tonight in the Premier League, there's a game between Chelsea and Fulham. This one's a West London derby. Probably not the most fierce of London derbies though, in all fairness. I think Chelsea Spurs or West Ham Spurs or of course the North London derby, which takes place on Saturday, are probably more hostile matches. But Chelsea versus Fulham, two sides who will be desperate to win this evening and in recent years Chelsea have dominated this fixture Marley if you look at the results over previous seasons it's almost always a Chelsea win is this the first time in a long time that Fulham could perhaps be going into this match as favourites quite possibly yeah I think um, the way things are going you can't really make much of a a sort of confident pick of Chelsea but I mean the bookies have still got Chelsea as favourites but you know Fulham is Fulham, the way they're playing, um, is a real problem for Chelsea, I think. You know, Chelsea have, what, they got nine injuries or something like that in the whole squad. Five of them are genuine first-teamers. Um, new lads to bring in. I think Baddy Ashile might might start tonight, might play. I think he's got his work permit and stuff ready to go. Uh, João Felix won't be, but I'm not sure how much João Felix is going to change things at Chelsea, if I'm honest. Um, but, yeah, it's, um, it's tough, but... Potter needs something from somewhere. I think he, he had a he had a bad start at Brighton. I think he won two of his first nine games at Brighton. Um, I think he's what, what is he now like fifteen games into Chelsea manager or twenty something like that, and he's he's not winning many. I think he's uh, struggling along at the minute. You know they haven't won. It seems like forever. I can't even remember the last game Chelsea won, but you know they've they've looked poor, which is the more worrying thing. They've looked toothless in attack and a little bit weak at the back. So. I think uh, Mitrovic will be uh, licking his lips at his at the the type of defence they've got at the minute, and you know Fulham are a pretty well organised side, and they'll fancy the chances tonight of extending that misery because I think if Chelsea go and lose th- like two nil, three one to to Fulham, they'll be really thinking about Potter. That that heat will really crank up a bit more because it's one thing losing to Man City and you can even lose 4-0 to Man City that it happens they could beat anyone in the world 4-0 but Fulham away is is a different proposition and if you turn up with academy lads scattered around and they get they get outrun and and outfought by senior pros people like Mitrovic smashing you know Lewis Hall into next week and introducing him into the into the Premier League that can be really scary so you know, Fulham have got to do that and Chelsea have got to guide against that because they need to stop the rot somewhere. I think they'd probably even take a, a draw tonight. It's that bad, I think, at the minute for Chelsea. And I think the focus is more off the pitch of what's coming in and what they can do in January, even though they've already spent 400 million quid apparently this 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 season. So it's, uh, it's something like that. We'll come on to the signings in a little bit, but just rolling back to the start of October, some of the Chelsea results. They beat Crystal Palace 2-1. They beat AC Milan 3-0. They beat Wolves 3-0. They beat Milan again 2-0. And we're into October here. They dispatched Aston Villa once more. But the problem started around mid-October. A 1-1 draw with Manchester United. uh, And then a 4-1 loss to Brighton. Lost to Arsenal. Lost to Man City. Lost to Newcastle. Lost to Aston Villa again. They beat Bournemouth on the 27th of December. So you're asking when their last win was. That was it. In and amongst the sort of 10, 12 game spell between October and now, they've won just the single league game and that was against Bournemouth. So it's not looking great for Graham Potter at the moment. 
As for Fulham, talks of offering Marco Silva a fresh contract because of the job he's done at Craven Cottage, Joel. Do you think that Fulham are already clear of danger this season? Do you think that they're pretty much safe? Well, if you think back to when we all did our Premier League predictions at the very start of the season, I don't think you'll find one football fan in the country who didn't have Fulham to go down, have Marco Silva to be one of the first three managers to be sacked. And we're all eating humble pie now because he's literally transformed the whole team, even the whole <laughs> club. I mean, the fact that they signed Andres Pereira and he's playing like Claude McAuley in midfield, I did not see that coming, especially when they offered you know, £10 million for him. I was thinking, my God, it's an absolute bank robbery, that. And now he's become one of the most pivotal players in their team. And sometimes you have to hold your hands up and say, you know what, he's actually got it right. I know he had a very difficult time at Everton when he was there uh, and at Watford, but now it just seems as though he's got the right combination and it feels like Fulham have just been waiting for this. Every single time they kept coming up, they had a decent team, but they didn't really strengthen it in certain areas and they would have certain amount of that crop of championship players that just weren't quite up to the Premier League challenge. And now you've got them three places above Chelsea in January, which I don't know when the last time that ever was in the history of football. And I was reading a stat that this could be their fourth consecutive top flight match victory for the first time since 1965 to 1966. So you can literally see to the extent of how much they've improved literally over the space of half a decade, half a century even. Uh, It's a pivotal moment for them in their history. And like you say, if they're safe, I think they only need 12 points. They've literally done all the groundwork now. The 12 points from safety, in my opinion, and that's the perspective that their fans have got to take. I know they're going to be probably thinking, well, you know, we're only five points away from the European places. Why not go one step further? But you have to take it with perspective, which is that they were one of the favourites to go down um, prior to the season starting. And they're exceeding expectations. It's almost like the Sheffield United of, uh, I think it was 2019, where they completely blitzed expectations and really overperformed. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's a great period for them as a club, and but also the fact that their January fixtures are looking quite difficult. They've got Chelsea, then they've got Newcastle, then they've got Tottenham, and then they've got Chelsea again. So I don't think there's any panic to be caused for them, to, to be honest, because their home form's great and they're 12 points from safety. So that's the, the silver lining, I would say. And teams will be looking at Fulham now, Joel, won't they? And thinking perhaps not the three-point banker that they would have been expecting in years gone by, much tougher tests, a bit like Brentford, a bit like Brighton, I suppose you could say. Clubs who are, are much tougher to beat than maybe they used to be perceived in years past. Big game for Chelsea tonight. Big game for Graham Potter, who did get a little prickly with some journalists post-match after the Manchester City loss recently, saying he stays respectful to those reporters despite what he called their stupid questions. Um, We don't know just yet whether Joao Felix will make his Chelsea debut. It's only if he receives clearance in time, but we will talk about that signing in more detail next here on Football Social Daily because we're going to round up the madness that has been the January transfer window in the last couple of days. We'll see you after this. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast from the Sports Social team. If you hit subscribe, that way you will not miss another episode of this podcast again. We've got some really cool stuff coming your way, including some exciting guests as well who used to play 
Premier League football and you won't want to miss some of their stories. But for now, let's talk about the January transfer window and the big signing that's happened over the last 24 hours is that Joao Felix now arrived at Chelsea on loan for the rest of the season for a fee around the £10 million mark, Marley. Um, Mad money, really, for a six-month loan. Absolutely mad money. But we've probably come to expect that from Chelsea, particularly under Todd Bowley, who, as we've mentioned a number of times on this show over the last week or two, has spent over half a billion quid on players and staff in the seven months since he's turned up as the owner. So what do you make of this deal to sign Joao Felix on loan for 10 million quid for the rest of the season? Well, Chelsea in mad money spending shocker, innit? Um, it's, <laughs> it's not surprising. Um, there's two things for me on this. Number one is that... He's signed a year extension at Atletico Madrid and he's gone for six months with no obligation to buy. So this is very much, on as as things stand right now, it's a six-month loan, no, no strings attached, no uh, clauses or if he scores five goals, you have, you have to pay him another five million quid or whatever. So it's just a flat loan. It's basically a six-month holiday to London for João Felix. Um, and we also know that apparently Diego Simeone is leaving Atletico in the summer, uh, well, at the end of the season. So, two things there. This is a flat loan, and then he goes back to Atletico Madrid where he's under contract. So, what what did Chelsea get out of this other than this six months? There's no long-term plan to buy João Felix. They would, if, the, if he does really well, they're going to have to go in and spend £100 million plus mm. on João Felix to get him as a permanent player. Mm. So, from that, posi- from that angle, it doesn't make sense, this, this move at all. I was reading before, he's the fifth most expensive transfer of all time. Yeah, I think he was was he 120 million to um to Atletico from uh, Benfica, wasn't he? So crazy money. But the second point I've got is he plays in a position where Chelsea have got so many options already that it it, it doesn't really make sense. I think he he was even quoted I think recently. I don't know whether it's an old quote resurfacing or uh, a quote from his Chelsea unveiling. And the question was, where where's your best position? Because he's one of them players that can play in a two up front. He can play as a number 10. He can play from the wings. So they were like, what's your best position? And he was like, behind a main striker. Chelsea haven't got a main striker. <laughs> Chelsea have got Kai Havertz, who plays in that position. Mason Mount, Conor Gallagher, Hakim Ziyech, Christian Pulisic. They've got all those players who play in the same position. That sort of half space... Trying to find a yeah, pocket, unreal ta- attacking talent, though, isn't it? When you when you list them all down, it makes but no I sense. mean, you, you mentioned the central striker, uh, Abamyang. Looks like he could be on his way back to Barcelona, having, you know, spent a few months at Chelsea. You know, he's a player who left Arsenal on a free, was signed to Chelsea from Barcelona for cash, and now he's going to go possibly back to Barcelona for free again. So, I mean, you're talking about gambles being taken by Todd Bowley, and this, no doubt, is one for Joao Felix. It's just another one, isn't it, here with, with the Aubameyang thing? And you mentioned the best position for Felix is, the, is behind the striker and they don't have one. Well, they're e- even less equipped now if Aubameyang leaves. Yeah, I think they can... I mean, they're probably, like, like when he gets clearance and, and makes his debut, he's probably going to play off Kai Havertz. And if you watch them, when they get wide uh, into the final third... Not one of them will be standing on a penalty spot waiting for the ball to come into the box. They'll all be floating around on the edge and there'll be five Chelsea players all on the 18-yard box standing next to each other going, all right, 
someone should be in the box. Like, who's in the box? Who's who's waiting for a tapping that we can all create? We can create tappings between ourselves. But if you're all creating tappings, who's scoring the tappings? There's no one there. Bro, Broyer's in. Bro, Broyer, how, however the hell you say that name. <laughs> Broyer is injured and looks terrible anyway when he's playing. He started against Newcastle, was completely ineffective in the whole game. Um, looks like he needs to learn on the job or needs another loan somewhere, maybe. Um, so he's out. Aubameyang's unhappy, throwing his toys out the pram again. I want to go back to Barcelona. Well, I want to date Kate Upton. Doesn't, it's not going to happen. Might On a free, like, it could go back on a free. Barcelona are in dire straits with the money anyway. What do you want to do? Go and sit on the bench behind Lewandowski? No. Your best chance is to knuckle down and actually play football with Chelsea. But his head's gone. He wasn't signed by that manager. He wasn't signed even by that owner. He wants to leave. The whole thing... At Chelsea makes no sense right now. Um, and João Felix, great player, can be an insane player, but if you've got no long-term... If you haven't got João Felix for the next four years, what's the point in having him for six months? I don't, I just don't really understand it, but Potter knows... Potter needs to take that chance. He feels like he needs to take that chance because he's getting so little out of his players right now. At least João Felix is signed for him and in his system and in his Chelsea. So it's kind of on him now to say, right, he's my guy, and he might get he might get some good form out of him. But for the for the next six months, that's all it's going to be. It's twelve games or thirteen games, whatever it might be. It's not really a long term strategy. But we don't associate Chelsea with long term strategy, and we haven't for the last twenty years. So it's not really anything different to be to be fair. Yeah, it's not unlike Chelsea to make a high profile, big money signing, and they've made another one in Joao. Felix, who arrives on a £10 million loan deal. Being honest with you, lads, it's only recent years that clubs have started to pay cash uh, in terms of loan fees, and it's just starting to get ridiculous And now. they're covering his um, wages as well. 280 yeah. grand a week, apparently. Well, yeah, Chelsea. My God. It might be a gamble that pays off. We will wait and see, of course. And We don't know if Joao Felix will make his debut tonight. That all depends on international clearance. My hunch is that he probably won't. OK, moving on now to another London club. And uh, we're zipping up to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium where it's been revealed over the last couple of days that Lucas Moura will leave Tottenham at the end of the season. Obviously, Joel, on his day, a really, really talented forward player, has had some really memorable moments in the shirt of Tottenham Hotspur as well. Notably that Champions League game against Ajax where he was undoubtedly the hero to send them through to the final in that mad game against the Dutch club. What do you make of the news that he'll be departing North London at the end of the season? I kind of feel sorry for him uh, because like you mentioned, it feels like his only flash in the pan season or moment was that 2019 season where he basically carried them to the final. And then in the final, he didn't even get a starting position. And it seems like from that moment onwards, it's almost like his Tottenham career was just unable to be resurrected because then Pochettino left shortly after and they had a constant changing of managers from Jose Mourinho to Santos to Conte and it just feels like he's never been able to get back into that team again he's always just been a consistently bit part player and it's a shame because as we saw in that campaign he has got a lot to offer but after being pretty stagnant for the last three years now it probably is the time to move on maybe a little bit too long he's waited to actually switch over um but I do think he's still got a lot to offer he's still a relatively young age in football terms but again it's like he's just waited a little bit too long and stretched his career out too far with Tottenham it felt like after that 2019 season 
that was probably the moment where he should have started evaluating his options, especially when the team under Pochettino started to collapse a little bit and things started to change massively at the club. But I think once he leaves, he's left probably one of the best moments in Spurs' history. Like that'll be forever cemented, not even in just Spurs' history, just in football history, because I don't think I've ever seen such a dramatic semi-final of a Champions League campaign ever in terms of the way in which it all went around and how it kept switching and changing in that game. But like we mentioned, if a player is only consistently producing moments, I always remember Jose Mourinho's famous uh I was going to say conversation, it was more a lecture to Deli Ali saying you're either a player with moments or you're a player who's consistent and that sets apart the top players from just the okay players. And that's what Lucas Moore has been over his career, he's just a moment player. He was like that for Paris Saint-Germain when he went for a massive fee uh, coming over from Brazil and then obviously went to Tottenham, again a moment player. And Conte doesn't need moment players, he needs consistent players. Um, so I think for Spurs, it's more a case of just clearing out some of this deadwood. I feel like there's so much lingering, or lingering around in their squad at the moment. Just so many players who are not up to par um, for Conte's standards anyway, if he wants to try and challenge for the big trophies, which ultimately is what Daniel Levy has brought him in for. Uh, and that's what the Tottenham fans are expecting. So it's a shame. He's got a good legacy at Spurs, but it's just a shame he couldn't kick on from that season because he did look like he was making a real... Um, position of his own in that team and it just didn't seem to come to fruition with the constant changing of managers. Okay, well Lucas Moura will depart Tottenham Hotspur at the end of the season. Of course, as it's January, it means any foreign clubs he can speak to now and sign a pre-contract agreement. If he's staying in England, they'll have to wait until the end of the campaign. Let's talk about Aston Villa now, who of course are in their first transfer window under new manager Unai Emery Marley. And reports claim that Villa have had a bid rejected for Marseille's ex-Arsenal midfielder Matteo Guendouzi, who of course worked under Unai Emery when both were at the Emirates Stadium. What do you make of that? Is this Unai Emery perhaps looking at players he trusts and he knows will be able to do a job for him? It must be. Um, Gendouzi I mean the fee is, is what gets me 30, 30 but could rise to 40 million for Gendouzi like, he's having a good season though in France the last two years yeah but where does, does he where does he get in that Villa team how much like, did Bruno Guimaraes cost Newcastle United 40 like 37 million so sim- well there's your benchmark similar isn't price it? in it you know what's well, the same price basically so but I'm looking at Villa and like Bubakar Kamara has been brilliant in defensive midfield, I think that's pretty much where Gendouzi plays. Like, is is he better than him? I don't, I don't think so. Um, I know he was in the France team in in the World Cup, but he was he was just a squad player. He started that game. They lost to um, Tunisia, I think it, it was, um, and that was it really. I, I just don't think. I think forty million is not. It's not that much these days, really, is it? But for a player who is from what we remember of Matteo Gendouzi, he's not changed a lot. He's got better, but he's not changed his, his game a lot. He's not box-to-box scoring goals, making tackles. He's sort of like just a just another player in a system. Like for, I just think £40 million is a lot of money, basically. Um, I think there's better players out there, but Villa have had bad luck with midfielders. You know, Sanson came from Marseille a few years ago, has been injured pretty much ever since, played at the weekend. I think he scored the first goal against... Uh, was it um, Stevenage, and then uh, they ended up losing that game. So he can't even catch a break there. Can't even score a winner in a in a cup game. So he he looks like he's probably going to head back to um, back to France. And then 
you know, there's there's like John McGinn. So they, they do need options, but I just think it's a lot of money for a player who, in my opinion, is not somebody that will that will obviously make you better. He got bombed out of Arsenal by Mikel Arteta for attitude problems, that, for want of a better thing. term. So, yeah. I mean, who knows? But he has worked under Emery before. Uh, staying with Villa, Joel, reportedly Aston Villa are also willing to listen to offers this window for... Luca Dean, who only signed for the club a year ago from Everton in the January transfer window of last season, clearly a good player and Everton's form certainly suffered when he moved to Aston Villa. He was one of their most creative players getting up that left wing, good delivery, good at set pieces, um, had a spell with injury as well, but no doubt a good player. Clearly, Unai Emery is not interested in keeping him at the club if these reports are to be believed. Well, this is the price you pay when you're constantly switching and changing managers and you don't believe in the process because he's a Gerrard signing. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the next manager who comes in is going to fancy him in the same way because regardless of how much they've paid, you see it at so many clubs now. I know with Manchester United, you know, it doesn't matter that we've paid £80 million for Harry Maguire. If Ten Hag doesn't fancy him, the board have got to suck it up and say, well, okay, he doesn't fancy him, so we have to move him on. It's the same situation here where clubs are banking on managers so much, especially these mid-table clubs where they're putting a lot of money into these managers, especially with Gerard. But you you would say that it's fair, isn't it? Because if you've got Gerard in, you want to back him. You don't want him to feel like he's not got any resources. But then when you're paying all this money for all these different players and you get a new manager in and then a new manager in, it's just a consequence. And with Luca Dean, it's it's strange because he is a very effective left back. I really like watching him play when he was at Everton, especially um, at Villa. It's not got going for him massively, but you know he was in the France team there or thereabouts sometimes in the preliminary squads. It's not like he's a bad player, but when a manager comes in, he evaluates his squad and whatever player he doesn't like, you've got to just the board have literally got to accept it because you've signed him on a massive contract. You've got to put faith in your new manager, and that's the only. I would say difficulty, the real difficulty of football ownership is that you've got to expect some really high losses when it comes to backing managers because they can literally come in and say every signing that you've made in the last six months are not players for me. And it seems like that's the case. They're going to probably get back a good portion of that fee, which is not the end of the world. I mean, the owners are not short of money. Um, But that's the price you pay for constantly changing managers. But they have to believe in Emery because I do think he's got a good long-term vision there. Uh, So they have to put faith in him. A couple more ones to talk about. The first one I will just mention very, very briefly. We've mentioned it loads on the podcast uh, this month so far. Well, Verkos to Manchester United is on. £3 million fee United will have to pay to Besiktas to uh, terminate that loan deal that he's got from Burnley and he will be having a medical today at Manchester United ahead of a signing on loan from Burnley for the rest of the season. The big Dutchman on his way to Old Trafford all being well. Final one then we're going to talk about on today's transfer roundup on Football Social Daily is one that probably doesn't make a great deal of sense, particularly for West Ham, which is the club involved in this deal. Wolverhampton Wanderers are keen to pinch Mikhail Antonio from the Hammers. I mean, this would be a bold move. Is this just testing West Ham's metal? Because surely the Hammers won't be willing to let one of their premier forwards go, Marley, when both Wolves and themselves are struggling at the wrong end of the table. Yeah, it doesn't make make a, a great deal of sense uh, on the basis of it. I think I think they're just being a bit cheeky because... It gives West Ham a way out of the Antonio or Skamaka problem because I think they've they've sort of shared the role at the minute 
um, since Skamaka came in in the summer, obviously for a big fee. There was the obvious thing at the start where he wasn't playing as well as Antonio. But it's embarrassing for West Ham to pay fifty million for a striker and then have to leave him on the bench because Antonio's there and he's not dipping. So I think they've probably signed Kamaka because they thought Antonio's going to be a spent force in the next year or so or two years. And you know he started off the season playing better than Skamaka, so it was almost like, well, we've got to keep got to keep this big Italian fella on the bench for a bit. And I think we've, if Wolves come in and say. Here's a here's an option. We'll have him because we need a striker. Are West Ham going to be tempted to go? Well, this gets Skamaka in the team every week, and it makes Moyes play him, and it makes Moyes have to get the best out of him so we can get the return on our fifty million pound investment. I don't know if that's logic, but it's it's clever from Wolves because the fee won't be much in terms of. You know, Wolves have spent. Wolves are one of the richest clubs in the Premier League. People forget that um, because their their owners have serious cash to spend. But they're looking at this on a little uh, little cheeky one, little maybe a you know transfer fee of under ten million quid. Maybe it might work. I can't see it happening myself. But if Antonio turns around and says, you know, I fancy this, it, it could happen. And West Ham would be taking a massive chance, but that's what West Ham have done over the past. You know, it's big wages going off the going off the books. It might just tempt them that, that little bit more. Um, and there's the chance, obviously, to play Skamaka every week and, and get the best out of him, if Moyes can do that, because he hasn't proved that yet, that he can do it. Um, it also may bump up the coffers to uh, to sack David Moyes. You never know. Uh, it might pay, pay off his compensation if they can convince someone else to come in and take over from Moyes, but... We'll have to wait and see what happens, but it's a cheeky one. But if you don't ask, you don't get. Absolute madness, I think, if West Ham sell Mikhail Antonio to Wolves. Strange one for me, but that's what the January window is all about. The craziness that is, and we'll have more to discuss, I'm sure, as there's still well over 20-odd days of the January window left to go. And it's normally towards the end where it starts to get spicy, but some good deals there to discuss on today's episode of Football Social Daily. Next up on the pod, we're going to be talking about your questions. Well, trying to answer them, I should say, because it's AQA, any questions answered, and we'll tackle them next after this. final part of today's show welcome back my name's Niall I've got Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson with me and I've also got a list of your questions that you've sent into us via social media you can get in touch with us on Twitter it's at FSD pod and this first question comes from Hugh uh, spelt the Welsh way H-U-W and he says uh, Gareth Bale has just retired but where does he rank among Premier League greats I'll go to you with this one first Joel no doubt in Gareth Bale's accomplishments, his accolades, multiple Champions Leagues, getting Wales to major tournaments, including a World Cup, which had not been done for well over half a century. But in terms of where he ranks among the best to do it in the Premier League, where do you think the Welshman stacks up? If it's during his time in the Premier League, I don't think he's you know, in the top, top tier because his best years weren't in the Premier League. But if you're saying in terms of his whole career... I don't think personally he's in the top 10. What, during just his Premier League career? I don't think though? he's in the top 10 of best Premier League players ever. Well, wait, how can he be? I, just, I mean, I mean, this is the kind of question where people get bogged down in, he's won five Champions Leagues. None of those were with a Premier League club. He didn't win a single trophy with Tottenham Hotspur when he was there. 
He had a great season where he scored, what was it, 30 goals or something, got the move to Real Madrid, did amazing things at Real Madrid, but not at Tottenham. And he was a great player in the Premier League when he was there. But is he one of the greatest ever? I just don't see how he can even be in the frame. Yeah, it's only because he's, he's he only had like, what, two peak seasons at Spurs in the Premier League. So on that basis, probably no, but he is one of the best players I've seen play in the Premier League, if that makes sense. So in terms of his legacy, I don't think he leaves a huge legacy in the Premier League because, I mean, to be a Premier League great, you have to apply your trade for a good number of years, at least, um, or win something at least, or put do, do some incredible campaign. You know, in the same instance, for example, Luis Suarez, he had probably one of the best Premier League campaigns I've ever seen of a striker in the Premier League. Does that make him a Premier League great? Or does that make him alongside Bale? Because he didn't win, any, win anything, although he was in a title race. So that adds a little bit of uh, substance. But again, to again, you know, if, if we're talking about that, I guess it's all personal opinion because I would put Alan Shearer, Gerrard, Lampard, Andrew Cole... Um, all of these players, I mean, I'm, I'm think, missing loads off the top of my head. I would put them all, i put Kevin De Bruyne above Gareth Bale for, oh, his, for, sure. for his impact in the Premier League. So, I mean, there, there's, you know, there's the question there, uh, which is kind of two-parted. Yeah, if you're going to put all the players who played 10, 15 years in the Premier League, I mean, he's not got a chance in hell, has he really? Because these guys have done it consistently. Um, if you were to do it as a whole rounded where, as a player, is he one of the best? You know, in the same instance of... Like I say, Luis Suarez, for example, of course he is one of the best that's ever played in it because it goes to show from his career. He won everything um, and was one of the most influential plays his country's ever had. Uh, but yeah, I definitely agree. I don't think when you compare it to the likes of Gerard Lampard, Scholes, the guys who've done it week in, week out for nearly two decades, it's hard to compare. But in the moment that he was here, he was ridiculously special. But that's kind of two seasons and you can't really pit two seasons against, you know, a season of Gerrard or Lampard consistently winning it and being in ridiculous teams. But he is a super special player. One thing Bale always had, which which sometimes gets levelled at, at other players, um, and particularly recently, I think we talked two or three weeks ago about how, is Harry Kane a big game player? Well, Gareth Bale always was always was like he he had that from from early i mean 2010 when he tore mike on a new all down that left <laughs> down that right hand side in the champions league mike on was the best right back in the world at the time and bill just went we're gonna have a race and you're gonna be a speck in my rear view mirror and just pushed it past he did he did the same move three times and he couldn't he couldn't deal with him into a class at the time into one of the best teams in the world bill turned up and just tore everyone apart scored a hat-trick uh, was it? I can't remember. Was it at the San Siro or was it at White Hart Lane? I think it was San Siro, and they won four three. But he had that. He had that then. He had that with Wales. He got them to Euro twenty sixteen. He got them through to the quarters in twenty sixteen. It was all his performances. He might not have scored all the goals, but he was the catalyst. He was the man who got them there. Uh, for Wales to even get to a major tournament was was a, a feat in itself. Because Wales Wales always have been and mostly mostly always will be a poor team. But when you've got that one sprinkling of stardust, you need it to come to the fore. And he loved he loved Wales more than anything. You know, his his whole career was, you know, the famous flag Wales Golf Madrid. Like that's that was Bill. It was, um, it, it was what he was. He was the the catalyst for everything. He he did it with Real Madrid. He won them tournaments. He scored that mint goal in the Copa del Rey, where he ran he ran off the pitch and still beat Mark Bartra to the ball by about fifteen yards. He scored the bicycle kick in the Champions League final. Um, which is the best 
the best goal that's ever been scored in a Champions League final and will probably not be beaten in another hundred years. Um, so yeah, I mean, his moments are right up there, but I think just the way his career petered out a bit towards the end, injuries, how bothered is he, what's his motivation like, is kind of what will what people will remember. But when people look back at his highlight reel and the things he did in the game and the trophies he won, he'll be sat there in LA or in Cardiff or wherever he's living with more than enough money and memories in the bank to say I'm more than happy with my career um, and how it played out. I don't need the haters, I just need need what I did because I had a hell of a career. I do think it adds extra spice to the who's the greatest Welsh player of all time debate because it's always going to be between Ryan Giggs and between Gareth Bale. Um, some people will argue that Ryan Giggs is from Salford and Gareth Bale's from Cardiff and therefore that's the differential. But I will leave that up to the people. That's not for me to say. Um, it's but Gareth Robbie Bale Savage. Has re- <laughs> yeah, he's better than Robbie Savage. Gareth Bale has just retired. Um, obviously a, a great player uh, who's won it all in the game. Right, moving on now. This is Dave's question. Manchester Derby and North London Derby both take place this weekend in the Premier League. Then it's Man City against Spurs on Thursday. Arsenal then go to Manchester United, or Arsenal then play Manchester United next weekend. Spurs then play City again in the midweek after that, before facing Arsenal on the 15th of February. So all of the top teams, basically, is what Dave is saying, are playing against each other. So he wants to know just how different he thinks the league could look in a month's time. So 15th of February is that game between Arsenal and Manchester City. We've got all those other fixtures that we've mentioned, including those two big derbies this weekend. We're here on the 12th of January. In four weeks' time, Joel, how do you think the Premier League table might be shaping up? It's impossible to tell. Newcastle top of the league. It will be top of the league, it should be. <laughs> United and Newcastle top of the league, uh, fighting it out. But... Um... I can't call those City and Arsenal games. I really can't. I think at the Emirates, I can see them both taking points of each other, to be honest. I really don't see the table looking that much different next month. And I don't think that these games are that pivotal in terms of the title race. That's purely because it's the teams that are not fighting for much. Otherwise, you've got to watch in the business end. And if, like I've always said, in the last five to six games at the end of the season, Arsenal and City are both within a shout of the league. That's when it really matters. Of course, it's going to be pivotal if they take points off each other or if City get two wins from two against them and then you look back at the end of the season and say, oh, that was the game that did it. But it doesn't really work like that. I mean, City have dropped some really pivotal points this season, um, especially at home, which is pretty uncharacteristic of them. And they're the games that you probably look back on and think we should have beaten them. Because when you play against the top teams in the league, although they're always really close encounters, it's the other ones that you've got to watch for because you're not really expected to go and blitz the team that you've just played and a title contending with because it's a difficult game. But it's the games against Southampton and Wolves that are fighting for their lives in the last six games. They're the ones that you've got to really watch out for. But I don't really see a massive pendulum swing in the league, to be honest. I think it's very, very close to call where I don't think many teams can set themselves apart just yet. It's exciting though and well negotiated that question was not an easy one from Dave because by the end of Sunday we might see a totally different construct of the league table. Manchester Derby and North London Derby of course both this weekend. At the other end of the table though it is Southampton against Everton and Everton are the subject of Lisa's question and she wants to know Marley has Farhad Moshiri the Everton owner listened to the Everton fans and kept Lampard in his job when maybe he didn't want to because the fans really like Frank as the manager. 
He says, Moshiri, that he's confident in Frank and his staff. I would push back on that, Marley, and say that we've heard Farhad Moshiri give his blessing to managers in the past and then shortly afterwards it's not ended particularly well. Rafa Benitez, the most recent example, we were speaking maybe a week or two ago on the podcast after another Everton defeat where the ground emptied and the booing at Goodison Park was really audible. We were suggesting that Lampard was on the brink of being sacked and there was a new manager set to be brought in. That just simply has not transpired. Everton still have Frank Lampard as their manager. So what do you think of Lisa's question? Do you think Mashiri has listened to the Everton fans and kept Lampard in his job because he doesn't want to face any backlash? Probably. Um, he's <laughs> Mashiri is, is a strange guy. He's backed himself um, over the fans with Benitez. It didn't work. It was it was embarrassing. Uh, you know there was there was some horrible, unsavoury things around Benitez's spell there. You know talking about bedsheets with you know, like threats on it and Rafa out and all the rest of it. He was never really given a fair crack. But you do have to listen to fans at, at football clubs. At the end of the day, fans if fans weren't at football clubs, you wouldn't have a football club. That's the whole. They make the club work. They're the ones that pay the tickets. They're the ones that put the money in. I'm not saying, not saying you, they they have to be in charge or make big decisions, but they do have to be listened to. Um, Lampard is polarizing, I think, because I think any other manager, if sorry, any other owner would have pulled the trigger by now and said this this just hasn't been good enough. But the problem is, Mashiri knows that that it's his doing as much as anyone's. Like, Mashiri's the one who's backed previous managers. He's the one that's put money in, blindly paid big fees for average players, big fees and big wages on players that would never really want to play for Everton. Talking about Hammers Rodriguez, talking about Alan, Players, and he, he basically put all his eggs in one basket with Ancelotti. And when Ancelotti got that call from Real Madrid, Everton's season just, well, Everton's five-year plan just went down the down the swanee because same you know James Rodriguez wants to play for Ancelotti he doesn't want to play for Rafa Benitez who plays defensively won't let him won't let him get away with walking around on the pitch when when Everton haven't got the ball and it transpired pretty quickly you know he he went straight away Andre Gomez down tools uh, Alan went away to play in the Middle East somewhere and it was like that's where the problems come from. I think Mashiri knows that and he knows that he's been responsible for some of it. So he's backing the manager to keep the fans on side because the last thing he wants is a mutiny against him again because if he sacked Lampard and brought in Sean Dyche, it wouldn't be inspiring. It might work long term, but it, it wouldn't be inspiring. I actually do think it would work long term, but at this point, it's such a big gamble when you've got the, the previous two appointments wrong. Um, or in your opinion, you've got them wrong, and then you and then you go, all right, well, we'll sack Lampard, even though he's he's still fairly popular with the fans. They haven't fully gone gone against him yet, and Mashiri's also got to realise that the form, the only thing that kept Everton in the Premier League last season was the was the fans. Their home form um, was was fantastic. The atmosphere at Goodison was huge, and it was probably the only thing that kept them up because. On the pitch, they weren't good. It was the atmosphere that intimidated away teams and they came and they allowed Everton to get into games and nick goals here and there. And Everton stayed up because of that. So I think he's 
if I think he knows and he's he's bright enough to go, if I sack Lampard, that's going to be toxic, and the new manager is going to start from you know with eleven hurdles when everyone else has got ten in a if it's a hundred meter race, you know you're putting an extra hurdle there in in place. So I think he's he's thinking about that, and that's the reason why Lampard's still got the job. Uh, and also there's the financial side of it as well. You've got to sack another manager. You've then got to back another manager in the transfer window. You've then got a plan for maybe the championship, maybe the Premier League. You've got to build the stadium. You've got to put money into that. Usmanov's gone, so there's less money coming in anyway. It's all coming out of your pocket. So it's it's a massive mess at Everton, to be totally fair, but it's a mess of Mashiri's making. Mashiri must know that the fans are unhappy. As much as he can isolate himself and insulate himself from all of the noise, he will know that the Everton fans are not happy with the way he's run the club and how he's spent the money he's put in. Good question, Lisa. Moves us on to our final question. And this is one that we've put on our Twitter page as well. So you can have your say over there at FSD Pod. And it involves Manchester City's Calvin Phillips. And of course, we discussed City's defeat to Southampton in the League Cup earlier on in today's episode. So has Calvin Phillips made a mistake? signing for Manchester City leaves his boyhood club in Leeds United somewhere he was absolutely adored somewhere where he performed so well and established himself in the England team under Gareth Southgate but since he's arrived at Manchester City he's been injured there have been many issues around his fitness there are even some comments from Pep Guardiola about his weight which led to a few laughs and a few chants from the stands Joel so Calvin Phillips at Manchester City has it worked? Has it been a flop? Is it too soon to tell? How do you see it? It's too, too it's too soon to tell because obviously he's barely even been fit to play since his um, arrival in the summer. But it's just it's the case of opportunity cost because, of course, he could have stayed at Leeds for the rest of his career very easily. I feel like he outgrew it after that tournament in the Euros massively, uh, where his stock rose ridiculously after those performances when England got to the final. But then when you're going into a Guardiola side, I don't think it matters who you are unless you are, for example, Kevin De Bruyne or Haaland. You're going to be rotated ridiculously. And when you've got Manchester City's quality in midfield, it's very hard to, first of all, stake a claim in it and then keep your place in it, especially if you can't stay fit. Because Guardiola has no patience for players who are consistently injured because they'll go out and buy a new player because they can and they can switch it around very quickly and you'll find yourselves in the complete outcast regardless of how much you've cost so in the case of Calvin Phillips although I know his motives for moving is that he wants to go a level up he wants to play in the big Champions League games he wants to win titles is it going to mean as much to him and I see this in the same instance as Harry Kane for example is it going to mean as much to him being a bit part player and winning something then it is staying at your boyhood club, potentially having a good cup campaign. I'm not saying Leeds are going to win anything anytime soon, but just being the guy for your local team that has stayed there through his career. I know he's an ambitious guy. I know at the end of the day, he's a professional. So you can't expect him to stay at Leeds all his career because the most loyal guys move on from their local clubs. It's just natural. It's part of life. But the fact that when he went to City, I never saw him as the guy who would be the permanent midfielder because Rodri is absolute tenfold of a player that he is. And that's just the facts. And I just don't know whether 
it's going to be an easy road for him in, at Manchester City because even with Jack Grealish, he's a very talented player, but he always stresses. He still doesn't feel like he's adapted to City yet because it was a very different uh, story at Villa where he had freedom to roam around. Maybe the same with Calvin Phillips. It's difficult for him to stay fit and then get a claim in the in the starting eleven. So it's it's difficult. It's too early to say. I would never say he's a flop because he's still relatively young, but that's the kind of cost of going to a Guardiola side. You're no longer the big fish. You're a small fish in a massive pond now and it's difficult to accept. All right, well, Calvin Phillips, still a Manchester City player, probably hasn't worked out as well as either he or the club will have wanted. But for now, he remains in situ at City, but will we see more moving and shaking? Of course he will, because it's the January transfer window and we'll keep you up to date right throughout the month on Football Social Daily. This is your Premier League podcast from the Sports Social crew. Myself, Marley and Joel will be with you on a daily basis to bring you up to date with all the latest Premier League news, views and opinions. And tomorrow on the podcast, we'll be looking ahead to this big weekend of Premier League action, both at the top and the bottom end of the table. And of course, in the race for those European spots, there are some really massive matches that we will tap into and uh, try and figure out exactly what might happen across the next couple of days or so. So hit subscribe and that way you won't miss it. But from us, that will do for now. And we'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.